Hi, I'm Mystic, aka Cynthia, the Gabby and Spontaneous F-bomb dropping Virgo who likes to sort socks. And I'm Mind Power, Michelle, the highly inquisitive, science-loving hypnotherapist who reads and walks a whole lot. You're, You're listening, listening to Mind Power Meets Mystic. We are wildly curious, and we want to talk about how spirit meets business, how self-expansion meets love, and how relationships meet life's true purpose. Because it's our belief that there are invisible cosmic forces tying things together. My passion is for the powers of the mind, human nature, and the development of inner strength. I help people transform by investigating their subconscious and reframing or rewriting their internal thinking. My get-off is helping people discover their cosmic irony, where their biggest fear is actually their greatest strength. By uncovering these things, they can revolutionize what they do and how they do it. We want to share how people grow and become bigger, more integrated, more fulfilled, more passionate and inspired in their life's journey. Listen in as we explore transformations, shifts, and finding the ahas while making space for serendipity, the unknown, and magic. Follow us and expand your sense of what's possible. And have fun along the way. Dive in and see how Mind Power Meets Mystic. Welcome to Mind Power Meets Mystic. I'm Michelle Walters, the Mind Power part of the equation, and my co-host Cynthia is off this week. Today I am interviewing Amy Day. Amy Day is a friend and a sis little or big sister of another friend of mine. And I'm so delighted to have Amy on our podcast today. Amy's a decision coach, and she brings the power of quality decision-making and tools for action to everyday people. Uniquely equipped from a childhood as a personal decision-making native speaker from the island of decision analysis, Amy is the daughter of Jim Matheson, a decision analysis pioneer. As co-founder of clarityforaction.org, Amy teaches these skills to young people and the adults who care about them through in-person and online courses and one-to-one -one decision coaching. Amy brings a breadth of professional experience in decision education and coaching, K through 12 education, volunteer management, outreach, and program and organizational development with the Decision Education Foundation, Youth in Philanthropy, and American Red Cross, as well as 19 years in alternative education. Amy is an honors graduate in economics with a Spanish literature minor from Whitman College. Welcome, Amy. Hi. Boy, that was just a lot. That's awesome. Pretty soon it's going to say author. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you are um, holding yourself to your set expectations and plunging forward on pumping out your book. Yeah. It's, you know, I'm the decision maker. <laughs> I get to decide. I mean, sometimes that's good. And sometimes that can feel overwhelming, right? Absolutely. And, uh, thank you so much for having me. And I love this idea of, I think in decision-making, uh, we think of that as such a heady experience, but there really is just this head and heart dynamic within your own body and your own experience, as well as with 
relationships you're in. So I think February is the perfect month. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And this is why I knew when we started talking a few months ago that you were just the perfect person to partner with on this and probably many future endeavors. Oh, absolutely. Because of your head heart integration of decision-making. So Amy, as her bio says, is a child of the decision analysis great, Jim Matheson, and um, big sister to little, my little sister. Little. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's good. I've never been David's. Sorry. I've never um, been David's big sister, but that sounds kind of exciting because then I can boss him around. <laughs> well, David Matheson, who is another author, Jim and David wrote a book many years ago, and that was smart organization, I believe. Um, I know David from when David and I worked at a company called Strategic Decisions Group in Menlo Park, California, back in the 90s. And Strategic Decisions Group, aka SDG, was a company that was really focused on how to help Fortune 100, Fortune 500, huge global corporations make important investment decisions. And in that world, I was exposed to all kinds of fascinating things. And one of the fascinating things that I learned besides meeting great people and traveling and doing all kinds of fun, cool stuff was the process for making decisions. And that process is what Amy is working on and what she is adapting and spearheading and shouting from the mountaintops about <laughs> and what I thought she could share with us here, because I think a huge part of our audience doesn't really know how they make a decision. Like we all sort of are faced with decisions every day other than sort of, oh yeah, I made a pros cons about it. Oh yeah. I talked to my friend or my coach or my whatever about it, but like, how really do we make decisions? So Amy, from, <laughs> your, from your background, can you share with us? Yeah. Yeah. So I think what's so interesting is I feel like I was born in a decision laboratory, <laughs> you know, not the kind with white lab coats and pens or whatever clipboards, but but where all the, in the ether was all these really brilliant minds creating a whole new field and a new way of thinking about decision-making for corporations. And I think the unexpected byproduct actually was all of the children of all of those families who just naturally integrated that process into them and how they lived. So for me, learning about decision analysis and learning about you know, being certified as a decision educator and advisor and counselor, right? When I went through that process, I was like, oh, this is what I've been doing all these years. It was like a native speaker jumping in and saying, that's how a sentence works. Well, I already know that. I just do it, right? So it's been an unwinding of all that and saying, how do I make a decision? How do I um, bring my whole self? And I partnered with my friend, Kristen Jawad, in creating a systematic way, because her background is really heavily in um, NVC work, in um, parent-teen mediation, in the in the I'm field. Sorry, I don't know what NVC is, so I bet my um, nonviolent communication. Rosenberger, I think, is okay. the founder of that field. Um, feelings and needs work. So she brought all these feels to it, and we've created this whole system. And I like to just make things simple. 
So I just want to remind all of your listeners <laughs> that they are the decision maker. You are the decision maker ultimately for whatever you're facing. And that can be big choices you're making, big purchases, big life changes. It can be little things. It can be, I, I'm making a choice about how I'm going to, I'm going to approach a situation, right? Right. Um, or how I'm going to react to that. I'm making a choice. We are the decision maker. And so when we think about decision-making to think about it just in four pillars, and there are four fundamental questions that you can ask yourself that just immediately upgrades your decision quality. Number one, it's the idea of who am I? We call that values. And this nice acronym is gonna be spelled out called VIDA, which V-I-D-A, which means life in Spanish. And uh, so it's this idea of who am I? What are my values, those core values, my noble purpose? What are my strengths? What do I bring to the table? So rather than thinking about lacking, it's thinking about what abundance do I already have? And then it's thinking about where am I going? What's my vision? Where What's going to pull me forward that really aligns all of those things in creating the great life you want to create? So that's V. I is my internal operating system. So we we're born as human beings into a system. And we're all a little bit different, but we all typically have some core fundamental needs. And, and to think about, am I decision fit? Am I hungry, angry, lonely, tired? People use that phrase halt in AA and other programs to just say, wait, am I fit to make this decision? Do I need a I snack? Think this one is so important, Amy. Like I'm going to stop you here because I want to make sure people are paying attention at this point. The notion of self-evaluating your fitness to mm -hmm. make a decision. I think that's so important because oftentimes you're sort of swept away or somebody's trying to sell you something and you're not really thinking about it or whatever that fitness is in question. And yet we often don't really even give ourselves permission to evaluate if we're fit to make a decision. So and kudos I think, for bringing that up. I like yeah, that. And I think so often we're like, there's all these shoulds floating around in our heads. I should do this. I should do that. And the idea that I could decide to press the pause button, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. even if it's something urgent, I've been on sales calls and people are like, the time's going to run out. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's not going to work for me. Right. Because I'm not in a decision fit state. I feel really pressured right now. So if there's, is there another way that this could happen this way? If I say yes, but I say yes later. Mm -hmm. And usually people work with me. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah. I'm the decision maker and I'm saying I'm not fit to make this decision right now. Or when we talk about relationships, I actually have a commitment to my husband that we don't sign up for anything unless we talk to the other person. <laughs> like sign up for something that costs a lot of money yeah, or yeah, you know, yeah, sure. Even donate money to an organization. Like it's not that I have to you know, have buying a new car without uh, without a conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah like it's a good it's a good one. That's a value that we hold dear, that we want to have an intact relationship where we're communicating. 
And that's what it looks like as a measure, right? So, so there's that piece of your emotional state of your decision fitness, and it can just have to do with your biology. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm lonely. I'm angry. Serve yourself. If that means I need to go be by myself and recharge, I need to go out to the movies and hang out with my friends, whatever works for you. Notice I'm not talking about lacking. I'm talking about what works for you. Right. In any setting. Right. 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 Yep. Absolutely. What comes, after, what comes after the I? What's okay. the D after I, and I do need to give a nod to cognitive biases in the internal operating system where we have beautiful way of processing information called heuristics. And it makes us able to sort a lot of information very quickly, but there are glitches. So they can send us off track or marketers can impact us in ways we don't want to be impacted and we don't even know it. So that's in internal operating system as well. So just to be aware, then there's the decision process. This is the beautiful decision analysis, six steps that SDG was doing. And, uh, and for me and for our organization, we have a little extra spin to that. And that is, there are questions in each six of the six steps that address your head so you can leverage your logic and your thinking and your heart so that you can be integrating these to take powerful action forward. Cause a human, when a human can't take action, I'm like, Oh, maybe we didn't integrate things. <laughs> maybe we forgot a value. Maybe we missed something along the way rather than saying you have to do this. It logically makes sense. Well, maybe it doesn't make sense to your heart. Exactly. This, this was in my view, the one thing that didn't always ring true in every one of our SDG projects. SDG projects were very, they were very business, very male energy, very results oriented. And, and that was fine. That's what our clients were buying, but I love that you have rounded out the methodology to incorporate more heart. And just to lean in a little bit, because I know we're talking about relationships. One, one of the steps of a great decision is really leaning into your values. So when I talked about at the beginning, that noble purpose, when I'm talking about a decision, maybe, maybe I'm talking to my husband, we're about moving, right? Maybe there's some big decision, big choice coming up to say, I have a noble purpose of community. And maybe he does too. And, um, he wants to be able to leave the house and go exercise and be fit. And I want to be able to go sing with my singing group close by whatever those things are, right. Creative expression. Notice I started to translate this passion for health or this passion for creativity that is a noble purpose that draws us forward into a really concrete it's close to where I sing. It's close to where he can walk out the door. Yeah. It's um, maybe it's part of a community that has community events or whatever that is. Maybe it's in the countryside and we don't want to see any other humans. It's, I don't care what it is. It's just to, to, to talk to your heart about your, what your noble, your noble purpose is, but then to talk to your head and say, what are measures of that noble purpose? Yeah. For both of us. Then you start to get to like, what am I looking for specifically? Right. Right. That's an, that's a concept of balancing those two, the head and heart. Very nice. 
What does the A stand for? A is action. The decision process does have action as one of the six steps. And I had to laugh because so often we say, make a good decision. Number one, nobody's teaching anybody how to make a good decision. Right. Right. And it's, it's very learnable, easy, repeatable. And everybody says, okay, go do that. Like what? How, how about, (laughs) I think, I think that, that actually taking action is where all your stuff comes up. Exactly. A lot of that book. I have a limiting belief or how do I organize my time, but I'm super creative. And how does that work for somebody like me or somebody who's wants a lot of structure, right? So So it's the action place where people, um, it's kind of like where the, where the, what do they say? Like where the metal, where you're, the metal meets the pedal. Rubber, right. Pedal the rubber the meets the road. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Ron Howard, who co-founded the entire field says a decision has not been made until you take action. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, Before uh, that, it's a notion. Yeah. So as we walk through those four areas to just think about who am I? How am I? What could I, how will I, if you can start to answer those four questions, you're going to be in this natural cycle of improving, right. Of improving your decision quality all along the way. I love it, Amy. I'm going to remind our listeners at this point that they are listening to Mind Power Meets Mystic with me, Michelle Walters. I'm the Mind Power part of the gig. And my partner, Cynthia Varkavisser, is taking a week off. Cynthia is actually cruising this week. I'm so jelly. Anyway, um, we are here talking to Amy Day, a decision coach and head co-founder of clarityforaction.org. Amy, I wanted to also talk to you about values and where values fit into decision-making and how that parlays into different relationships. Because I think like the values that I might put into a one kind of decision Mm -hmm. might be different values than the ones that show up for a decision that involves a different group of people. So- Mm -hmm. You have any thoughts about that? Yeah. I mean, I think that the interesting thing about values, of course, relationships start with you. So to even pause and take an inventory of what your values are and, and to offer to groups you're with to say, let's pause for a moment and say, what shared values do we have? What's so interesting is we can even label something different. I can say, I have a value for community. And you could say, I have a value for family or I have a value for athletics. Let's say that. And we're like, those are totally different. It's actually how we define the value that matters, right? So yeah. to start to have dialogue about why does it matter to me? And why does it matter to you? I might say, I care about community because my community is my neighborhood and my family and my friends. It's all of it in a big giant embrace. And you might say you love activities or, you know, like athletics because um, you love to be part of a team. Or I might say I love athletics because I like to watch the 49ers. 
Yep. And, I, and, I, and I don't actually move my body at all except to reach for the chip bag. Right. I mean, like, right. that's it, a lot of work. Very different, very different um, takes on the same expression. Right. So, so then it's just a question of like, how can we meet as many of our needs as possible? That's where we start to limit ourselves is we start to say, um, we frame up a problem at, or a solution as the, as one alternative. And we don't say, wait, where do we want to go? And what destination could meet as many of our needs as we possibly can, as many of those measures as we possibly can? How can we honor that? And then back up and say, what choices or what hybrid of the different choices we can come up with meet the most of those values that we're expressing as preferences or as like a checklist, meet those as much as possible. Right. So our needs are met as human beings. Let me tell you, when you enroll a group of people and their values are expressed, even if they're different people with different values that are completely different, chip bag and, and uh, you know, going for a run and being part of a team, right? That's okay. If you can embrace those different values together, you're unstoppable. Right. It's those values are rocket fuel for decisions. So when I said, if somebody can't take action, and maybe you saw this even in SDG, a company that says, yeah, this looks great. And then they can't take action. There is something missing. And the first place I look is values. Did we miss a value? Did we miss something that the people who are taking action care about? Right. Because on paper, it could be a great decision, but in our hearts, it doesn't make any sense. Right. No, that makes, that makes complete sense to me. Yeah. Tell me about a decision that you were a part of that had to do with an important relationship. One of the recent decisions that we had to deal with at the beginning of COVID is uh, our middle son, Elliot was in Russia. St. Petersburg is an exchange student. And, um, he got a letter at the beginning of COVID saying from his university, you will not get credit for your work if you don't come home by this date. So they were recalling students to the state of Washington. And at that time they were saying, this is ground zero for COVID. <laughs> like, Oh, okay. So he was, he was in Washington or he was in so Russia he, yeah. and he was being told you won't get any units if you don't show up go home to, to Seattle where everybody right. had COVID. Oh, yes. not, not at that. Yeah. That would be a difficult decision. It's a difficult and it's a collaborative decision because I'm his mom, but he's a grown up. he's in college. Um, so it was really a collaborative decision. And so what I did is just backed up and said, why are you in Russia? Good so question. we knew there was like COVID here, not there. I mean, as much as the government there would release, right? of information. So we knew there might not be perfect information, <laughs> but yeah. I said, why are you in Russia? He said, to know the people, to practice the language, to be here, to interact. I was like, great. Nowhere did he say to earn credits. Telling. Yeah. So I said, great. I said, it sounds to me like, and, and the university there said, you can stay. That's fine. 
because he was enrolled there. Right. This is a no brainer. This is a decision for right now. So we didn't say forever decision. So we set up a decision of every day, I would look at the World Health Organization to get new information. One time, just kind of do a scan. We would, um, our go, no go was if the US borders were closed or they were gonna close the Russian borders or something like that. So we created a go, no go. And we had friends in Berlin, I contacted and said, if LA gets stuck in Europe, could he come to you, right? So I had a plan B. So we had all this structure there and we said, tomorrow we could make a different decision. This is not irrevocable. Right. So every day we'd sort of just WhatsApp each other. looks okay. Kind of going along 17 days later, maybe things are starting to happen. Right. Okay. And we've been checking crazy stuff's going on. Trump says he's closing the borders. I buy a ticket on Delta. (laughs) I'm like, I had it up. I said, purchase. Yeah. Luckily, I knew you could refund it for 24 hours. And he said, no, U.S. citizens aren't required to come back. I was like, great, I'm turning that in because all of humanity is going to come to the U.S. borders. And that's when you're going to get COVID. Right. <laughs> Traveling so, will make you sick. Yeah. So I'm. we're in a constant dialogue, though, in a constant state of like updating. And finally, there was so much uncertainty. I called Elliot and I said, Elliot, I'm going to play the mom card. I can't do this anymore. So what was I trusting there? Was I, I was looking at logic. I was thinking about my heart, but I was actually trusting my intuition. I was trusting this other sense about, I know what our values are. I know how to make a good decision. And you know what? I'm outside my realm of comfort. Right. The uncertainty is too high. Right. And so I did, I went to my intuition and what he said is, yeah, mom, the hair started standing up on the back of my neck two days ago. He knew that that was his sign for his intuition. Yeah. 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 So to really recognize when your intuition's coming up and it doesn't have to be practical, it can just, I absolutely love that, Amy. That's a fantastic story. And I think a great illustration that logic can only take you so far, right? We, we are, when, when the pandemic came up, nobody knew how to navigate that situation Mm -hmm. and it was, you know, changing all the time and there were no tests. And like you said, the data coming out of Russia, who knows what the quality is of the data coming out of Russia and and at some point you just have to you just have to know what to do. It reminds me back at when when I worked at SDG. Um, I think it was Ron Howard, kind of the head guy of the whole thing, who was like, you can't use a decision analysis process to determine who to date. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't work. And because at the end of the day, it's really a matter of yeah, are all the pieces coming together, but, but it's a, it's a heart, it's a heart decision. So, or we, I mean, I think we call it a heart decision because that's the closest word I think we have to it. I think an awful lot of what we call heart decisions are decisions that are, are 
come from what's embedded in our subconscious, right? Come from what's embedded in terms of the, the experiences we had as a child, in terms of the way our parents raised us, in terms of kind of those things that are below the surface that you can't know about. And that's, that's what you're describing in this St. Petersburg, do I come home? Right. Question. Like the idea that those things, that knowing, that knowing is like an iceberg below the water. There's this well of just knowing that I love that illustration of your subconscious of like, mm-hmm. I just have this wisdom. I have this intuition and I can trust that. Mm-hmm. And that, and I think the other really important, important thinking around like this was a pretty serious decision, right? We didn't know what the pandemic was. We didn't know if it was going to be like the Spanish flu. Like it was serious. And for me, I think about every time we made a decision, like, yep, you're going to stay there. Yep, you're going to stay there. That regardless of the outcome, we are making our best decision in the moment. So for me to evaluate that decision is, was it a good decision? Did I learn anything in that decision? I cannot say, oh, because Elliot got home safe and he got home in time for that deadline even. And he left Russia literally the last night just by happenstance that they had international flights out of Russia, out of St. Petersburg. Wow. And the next Wednesday was only State Department flights. It was crazy. We had no way of knowing that future knowledge, right? Right. Even with all of that, like, was it a good decision because he got home safe and he got the credits and he got his double major and he like all that, that does not make it a good decision. It was a good decision because of the process that we went through that, that creates the possibility of great. It's like creating luck, a greater possibility of having a great outcome for you. But what you're describing, the important part I want to try and highlight here, because I think it's so important, Amy, is that we are often, oftentimes we judge the quality or the correctness or whatever of our decision based on the outcome. Mm -hmm. And it is a very important difference in the framing of this process for decision analysis that comes out of academics and people like SDGers and stuff that you have to change your frame. You have to look at this based upon not about the outcome, but did you do all of the parts correctly? Did you do that? Those Vita things, the well, I mean, maybe not perfectly, but well, right. Right. And this, this, way of thinking has really helped me personally throughout my life. It, it makes it so that I don't overjudge myself when something goes south because sometimes things go south, even if you did everything you could do well, you know, and a a lot of people, I see, I see this all the time, people banging themselves on the head about, wow, I chose this and then something bad happened. Well, that something bad happened doesn't may not have really anything to do or might not have been any different if you'd made a different decision, right? 
Right. Right. And so it like they're independent. It's like a sandwich. They're independent events. It's like decision. And then in the middle of the bread is uncertainty. Like we don't know what's going to happen. And then outcome. But to position yourself to be have a higher likelihood of a good outcome. Yes, you can do that. You can you can play the odds in your favor. But to beat yourself up for a bad outcome is is just I just think about how much power that gives away from the individual, from relationships, from making collaborative decisions by just giving it away. Oh, it's see, it was a bad decision. No, was it? And the idea of like, I could actually be compassionate to my former self and say, would I have done it differently today? Maybe, maybe not. Did I learn something? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, you know, I've been here five decades. <laughs> I'm still learning everybody, right? That we're all learning human beings and that's part of the richness of being alive. So be kind to your former self and say, what did I learn? What could I do differently the next time? Who could support me? Who could support me in my decision-making who could support me in unlocking what's in my subconscious? That's why I love your work. It's like, why wouldn't I ally, make an ally of my subconscious? Absolutely. Right? Most people don't bother to. And yet when you, if you, if you try to do something your subconscious doesn't like, it ain't pretty. It just doesn't come out right. No, I am, I am reminded my, my late husband, Bruce used to sort of drive me crazy, but he used to say, well, it seemed the thing to do at the time. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, it, it, that's an expression of, I made the best decision I could. And even if the outcome wasn't what you anticipated or wanted, it seemed the thing to do at the time kind of drove me crazy as the wife, but you know. Right. Uh, I, right. I had to take from that, that, you know, that was Bruce saying he had done the best he could. Right. And that's yeah. kind of what we, that's, that's all any of us can do. Right. And, and actually we could be kind and just do some incremental upgrades, right? We don't have to like be five steps out. We could just be the next step. The next step for your listeners might be to think, how am I? Well, and that's right. back to the decision fitness. Am I ready to make this decision? Is it right. the right time? And, and, and I look at your work and I think, oh, well, your work with the subconscious is helping me support me in my decision fitness, right? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And, you know, lining things up so that I can be a powerful decision maker, but boy, we have so many opportunities to, to say, am I? Am I the decision maker? And if I'm not the decision maker, how do I support the person that I'm in a relationship with in being the best decision maker they can be? Maybe I just make them a snack. That's the, the decision I get to make. Right. Wow. They have a big decision. I'm going to make them a snack in case they're hungry. Right. Or listen to them. Or listen to them. Or listen to them. Listen to them is... A lot of times all people are really looking Absolutely. For. And so to, to really, I invite people to say, am I the decision maker in whatever the situation is, or are we the decision maker 
or is that person the decision maker? It's like, we don't have to fix everything. Sometimes fixing is listening. Sometimes fixing is making a snack (laughs) or supporting, right? Is supporting the wellness of that decision maker. And we can say, good job. I give myself a high five and I'll say, good job, Amy. (laughs) That's my family. They're like a mom's job on the podcast. So can you tell our listeners what you have coming up? Yes, of course. Of course. So every, almost every Thursday, I send out an email. That's a thoughtful Thursday. It's free. It's just weekly decision coaching. It's some little topic to help you upgrade your decision-making in the moment of just one simple thing. Uh, so I invite people to subscribe. Um, and that same mailing list gets a reminder email every month that we have our decision club, the first Thursday of every month, it's 90 minutes and people just will pick a topic. And sometimes people come in and say, I'm struggling and it's completely off topic and it's fine. Like we're there to support quality decision-making and give people practice, a space to practice. And then we have also the, our decision classroom where it's an online asynchronous course and people can join a cohort. They can, you know, of peers, or they can do one-on-one decision coaching, but really it's so that we can upgrade the world in great decision-making. We weren't taught to make great decisions, but it's a completely learnable skill. So let's upgrade. Yes. You're on a mission to help thousands of people make better decisions, <laughs> right? Isn't that what you told I me? Talk about, I talk about how I, how did I get to be the leader of the decision revolution? I'm like, I really feel like there's a revolution here. It's a transformation of the world through great decision-making. So people feel empowered in their lives. I think that's the perfect place to leave this. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for having me. I loved this opportunity to just serve and nerd out about (laughs) decision-making. You've been listening to Mind Power Meets Mystic.